It's time to hit the trail as we present your monthly dose of travel, tourism, wine and dine. This is Travel Radio Australia. Here's your host, Renz Veers. Thank you, David, and welcome to the July edition of Travel Radio Australia. We have great destinations, as we do every month. We're going to Austria. We're going to visit a castle in northern Scotland. We'll uh, talk about Hollywood, California. We'll learn about a, a new website where you can sort of learn about seating in airplanes. And also, uh, oh, how about a trip to Croatia? That's all coming up. Thanks to our correspondents, we've got Jeff Harrison, our own Jeff Harrison, Arthur von Wiesenberger and his team in the ATW studio in Santa Barbara, David Gordon from Travel Bites Radio in Northern Ireland, and Graham Kemlow, the host of Travel Writers Radio in Melbourne. And who else? Oh, Max Hartshorn from GoNomad.com. They're all the, the people whose voices you'll be hearing in the next uh, half hour or three quarters of an hour, whatever. We haven't time to show yet. We'll just let it go with the flow. And first up on the show is Jeff Harrison. This week we're broadcasting from Austria, and we're at a very special place in the Montafon region of Austria, the Kaiserhaus, uh, is that how I say it? I'm, I'm with Werner Fritz, who is the, uh, the manager and owner here. Kaiserhaus? Yeah, if you say it in, in German, you say Kaiserhaus, and uh, in English, cheese house. Uh, very simple. Yeah, a house for the cheese. The cheese here is absolutely magnificent. Now, I just had the speciality of the house where you get a little fondue type arrangement with the candles and you melt the cheese. Rickly party, yeah. Yeah, it's a very funny uh, thing. You can make it with sliders, uh, with candles. Uh, then you got the, the right feeling. It's handlebar. You can take it uh, with you to ski or in the mountains if you walk or in the cinema or wherever you want. Yeah. Uh, wherever you want for the first, for the first candlelight dinner. Yeah. yeah. And, and Katrine was explaining to me that there's three levels of where the uh, cattle and the, and the dairy cows are for different types of times of the year yeah. here, here in the region. Can yeah. you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. It's, it's very special in uh, Vorarlberg. We, we, we call it three-step farming. Yeah? The first time the cows are in the villages and uh, you can say this is uh, from uh, October to April, often maybe May. The first step, they, they are uh, in the village. Afterwards, in May, they go to the mazes. You have to know this is uh, something like a, a little farm up about 1,000 meters high. That's the first step for the cows to come from the village up to the mountain. It's a re relaxing place for them, uh, for the klima, for the high position. If they have been uh, down in the village over the winter, then they often got no condition and they have to make a little bit uh, training the first step. Yeah. And afterwards, uh, if the weather is fine, they start uh, in June. It depends on the weather, really. We got oft, often snow also in June. In the first June, they go up uh, to, the, to the Alps. These uh, Alps are often about 1,500 meters high. They go up to about 3,500 meters. And these are these three steps. And if the weather is also okay, everything depends on the weather. They, they got about 90 days on the Alps, often in September, the first week or the second week, they come down mm. into the village and then they stay in the village. Uh, that's, uh, we say the, the cows, they make vacation in summertime 
it's a very special time also for the farmers. Then they get a lot of time to do uh, everything they, uh, yeah, they have to do in the villages. Adam. And tell us about the specialty cheeses you have here at the Cheese House in Montefon, and we'll give the address uh, later so people can find you online. But there must be some really special things that you you can you like that you can tell us about. Yeah, this uh, area Montefon is, uh, is yeah is a special place for one cheese, and this cheese is called Surakes. Sour cheese, you can say in, in English, and this uh, sour cheese is a very very old cheese. There uh, is a text document from uh, 12, from the 12th century, and uh, they pay taxes in Switzerland for the church, and uh, is one of the oldest uh, documented cheeses all over the world. This cheese is uh, every old cheese got a got a special story, uh, and uh, the story of this cheese is they make it without uh, fat at the first time they take the milk then they take the fat away easy way you have to take the the milk for about eight hours then you got the, the fat on the on the top and uh, you can put the fat away and with this fat they make milk as a, a milk butter butter if you get a fresh butter with uh, no chemic chemical inside this butter will uh, will, will will be yeah quality takes about four to five days and uh, afterwards you got the second chance to keep the fat in your business you heat it up once again and then we, we call it butterschmalz right? you take it to, to cook and uh, it's a special special fat and this fat if you uh, put it into special bottles without uh, uh, with colors about green or black there is no sun and if you take it cool you can heat, you can keep it on, on business for about five to six six years no problem in the history it was very special and were very interesting to cut the fat in your business without this fat we call it in german magermilch with this uh, magermilch they make this special cheese the sure case it's very easy. They, they uh, heat it up to 20, 28 degrees and uh, then they put some special uh, sour, sour starter bacterials inside. And uh, it's very easy. They, they make it by himself with uh, sour, sour type bread and uh, Brunnenkresse. Then you uh, got the sour bacterials into the milk and after about 14 to 18 hours, the milk is broken and you got the cheese yeah and then you have to heat it once again up to 40 degrees and afterwards the cheese is already ready yeah? mm. you can put it out and they, they take in Austria they take about uh, uh, 2.5 2 uh, kilogram forms for this cheese and uh, they press it a little bit and yeah after 10 days you can eat him mm. and you can also take this cheese for you can handle him about for eight months, nine months, or about 12 months. And it's very interesting. He, he changed uh, the, the quality and uh, the smell very, very extremely. Mm. Yeah? You got in the first uh, a sour, fresh cheese. And afterwards, after you can say about five months, this cheese got a very strong uh, skin. And the skin smells absolutely, yeah, we would say just just for professional cheese eaters, not for the soft one, for the professional. And also inside this cheese, uh, the smell keeps uh, the first step of his living, and he's also fresh and sour. Yeah. 
And, and I suppose there's a whole world, just like wine, cheese has a whole world of professional tasting, competition and all that sort of thing. And I suppose you, some of your cheese has been in competition in the past as well? Yes, sure. Uh, very interesting is uh, about cheese. The stronger the cheese smell, the better taste is something with a sweet touch. It, 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 it can be shots, you can take wine, you can take fruits, uh, you can take juice, it, it doesn't matter. You can say, is there really a strong cheese, the much more you can drink something sweet about it. It's very fantastic, maybe you try, uh, if you if you got the chance, you, you take a, a very strong cheese and you try it with a Prosecco. Mm. Yeah. It's a fantastic combination, or marmalade. Now, if we want to find you online, we can go to uh, www.caseyhaus, that's K-A-E-S-E-H-A-U-S, dash montafon.at for Austria. And uh, where can people find you uh, if they're coming to Austria here? You've got a fabulous, um, beautiful uh, facility here. Yeah, we are in the middle of Montafon. There is a, uh, the, the biggest uh, uh, village is called Schrunz and uh, Chakuns, and we are in the middle of both, on the highway to, to the Silveta uh, Hochalpenstrasse. Maybe if they visit us, also Silveta Hochalpenstrasse, Bielerhöhe, is a very fantastic place, and it's yeah, a place you have to be once in your life. That's great, and thank you very much for being with us. Uh, Werner Fritz, the owner here at the Case House Montafon, which is the, ke- uh, the Cheese House Montafon, in Schruns, and it's been a pleasure to have you on the program this week. Yeah, for me also, and uh, uh, yeah, the best wishes to Australia. Often the Austrians are, are yeah, they, they, they mean the Australians are the Aust- Austrians, and the Austrians are the Australians. I think we are brothers, and yeah, I like it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Werner. Great, great. Thanks. This is Travel Radio Australia. And welcome back to Around the World. I'm Martha Von Wiesberg, lovely Martha Bull in the studio. And joining us now is the legend himself, Mr. Peter Noon. I'm a legend now, am I? You are. Uh, how you doing, Martha? I'm good. How are you, honey? Good, thank you. Nice you're, to see you. You're looking nice well. Yeah, you look like some, uh, some shillings. Oh, they don't trade that anymore, do they? That's some what? Shillings. 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 No. Sixpence. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Peter Noon, the guy who goes all over the world. You're the hardest guy in showbiz, hardest working The hardest guy, guy in showbiz. <laughs> That's what I hear. Oh, I'm not going to touch that. I'm the hardest man in showbiz. Yeah. You better not touch that one, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the hardest working guy in showbiz. Thank you. I'm glad goes you said that. all over the globe. You do more traveling than anybody I know. And, uh, and you just got back. Um, yeah, I travel for work. And you know, it's still a great adventure. I, you never know what you're going to get. My wife decided that we should always fly now on Lufthansa. And it's kind of disappointing. You yeah. know, they're all rubbish now. I, you, know, I would have said, you know, I would have said, oh, it's going to be better than United. But it's about the same. Well, yeah. we're going to find out about it. But, oh, you know, sorry. Let me ask you a question. What's big, Scottish, and depressing? Um, is it haggis? No, it's Scotland. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Scotland is small and lovely. You like Scotland. You're a good guy. I do well, like Scotland. We have a wonderful young lady joining us now who is a Scottish uh, explorer. <laughs> She's come back from Scotland. Rebecca Brand is in the studio joining us. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Arthur. Hi, nice Martha. Hi, Peter. Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. <laughs> <laughs> no, ki- no daughters, just boys, uh, just no, sons. You're right. uh, so you oh, went to Scotland, you. and uh, you got there that one day of summer, right? Yes, we arrived. How did you work this out, by the way? You did a house trade, right? This was amazing. Back in the day, you would get a phone book 
by a company called HomeAway that was as you know, thick as the yellow pages. And in it were pictures and descriptions of thousands of houses around the world. And so you would, by letter, write people that you might be interested in exchanging your house for, for, and you'd have to get the dates right. It was a very complicated process. And after fielding inquiries to yours and back and forth you go, um, it takes about six months to do this because this was before the internet. And so we booked a, ha- a castle in Scotland. We got an entire You traded castle. a castle for a house in Santa Barbara? For our ranch. We oh. had a ranch up in Los Alamos that was very large, and apparently the castle owner liked to go hunting, mm. and there was hunting on the ranch. So we took his castle, um, his beautiful lake, um, his wildlife, and there was a gameskeeper there that and then they made this big dinner with the with the um, leg of venison he got and the rabbit. And the kids and I went fishing and got some fish that day. And we added the music people from the little town of Drumtalkie, where this castle was. And they came and played violins. And it was amazing. And we danced in the ballroom. Uh, so you've actually, you actually amazing. went and became Scottish for a while. That's the, for a uh, full brilliant. month. Brilliant. Yeah, it was really? very, very and special is, where time. Where is this town? I mean, how is it it's in relation very, to Edinburgh? Or, yes, or it's right by Aberdeen. It's way north of Edinburgh, wow. in the very north part, north um, uh, east part of Scotland, um, about an hour from Aberdeen. And no mosquitoes and no air conditioning. We didn't need the air conditioning. You did have. We didn't need it. Oh yeah, it was it was beautiful in August. It was it's naturally air conditioned. Natural. Yeah. Uh, but it's beautiful up there, isn't it? It's and really excellent. The land. days went on until eleven o'clock at night because you were so far north oh, in the sure. summertime. It was yeah. just a wonderful. Did you experience. fly into uh, Edinburgh to get there, um, <clears throat> or did you fly yeah, to Glasgow? Yes, uh, I believe it was Edinburgh. Have you been to Glasgow? Do not remember Glasgow. Really? I went to Glasgow in the seventies. In fact, if you want to know what Glasgow was like in the 70s, just yeah. go to the Today. <laughs> go to the Today. No, but Glasgow is now a phenomenal European city. Yeah? They've spent mm. billions on it. Yeah. I mean, it's unrecognizable. I remember when I was a kid, I used to go out with this girl called Lulu. And she lived, she was a singer, and she lived in Glasgow, and her father worked, he was a butcher in yeah. the abattoir, which was a famous, and it was a rough, rough town, Glasgow. And he was a rough, rough guy, had a machete. You know, like, I'd go, could I take out your daughter? <laughs> That's Scottish for make sure she's home by nine. <laughs> and, um, and it was a rough time. But I went there, I, I tour, I do a British tour every few years. And I went up to, I love Scotland. Mm. I tell you, my dad went to Edinburgh University when I was already a person, when I was, not when I was, before I was born. And we used to spend time up in Edinburgh. I, I know Edinburgh really well. The best art yeah. museum there. Beautiful French Impressionist collection. fantastic company, country. And my bank was the Bank of Scotland, because my dad, when, when I was a kid, he opened my bank, Bank of Scotland. And mm-hmm. over the years, it's been, it went bankrupt like every bank did. It wasn't just America, you know, that did that. And, uh, and now my bank is the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank. Oh. We bought the Bank of Scotland. <laughs> and you didn't even have to go over there to open it, right? Well, now you can go to New York now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're up in Scotland. you're up in this little castle in Scotland, not that little, I guess, and uh, and you suddenly became Scottish, at least for a while, right? Going shopping. In, yes, in with the, the most friendly people mm-hmm. that we've ever met. Just lovely, Beautiful. kind. Um, the haggish was not my favorite dish. No. Neeps, the haggis and neeps, Peter. Is uh, that? It's, I, I, 
I'm not very Scottish. In Scotland, if they put it in a sausage or a pie, nobody questions what it might be inside. (laughs) uh, A lot of meat pies up there, that's for sure. I'm from the English side. We go, what is in this sausage? And they go, oh, it's just giblets and a bit of pig's bladder. And I go... (laughs) I'll have a cheeseburger <laughs> with McDonald's. Well, there was mad cow disease going on at the time oh. we went. Wow. So we really had to avoid the beef. It was, mm-hmm. you know, re- headlines every day. Sure. So then what do you eat? Scotch. Yeah. <laughs> fish, fish and chips. And the best fish and chips in the world are in Yeah, Scotland. nice fish up there. Yeah. And, you know, could you see the oil rigs when you were in Aberdeen? No, but there, that is a town for oil rigs. Yeah. And the person that owned the castle was in the oil business, so... Yeah, it's a great, it's great. Mm-hmm. Scotland, great economy and uh, wonderful so, people. While you were there, did you play a little golf? I mean, that would be sort of We went to uh, the St. Okay. Andrews? St. Andrews, and right. we saw it. And it was, you know, I was like, whoa, this is St. Andrews, the birthplace of golf. Yeah. It was not as green as our little pebble beaches and our sandpipers. I was like, wow, this is that famous golf course, but it was a little deflating to actually see it be- you know it's a yeah. little well, run down i thought yeah. well, it know. was a, it was a scottish joke to invent the game golf let's see whether they'll do this they hit the ball as far as they can <laughs> then they go and catch up to it and then they hit it again <laughs> so you know they, they did you go to octorada which is near near st andrews it's a beautiful little town mm. it's and octorada is scottish for or gaelic whatever the language is they're talking up there like blue and it means the longest town in the world. And I said, I don't think this is the longest town in the world. I think so. It had a castle, didn't it? Right, yeah. I think we romped around the castle. Yeah. And climbed, the kids climbed the castle, climbed the stone walls. It was just a great place to There's go with the family. There's up there. Because they were worried about those Sassanacs coming up there, stealing it all. So they all built, let's pour this on their heads. <laughs> a little hot oil. Yeah, but anything else. <laughs> we saw Van Morrison do a dress rehearsal at Balamar Castle, this castle we visited. And he was out there singing because he was going to have a concert that night. And as we toured the castle, he was singing all his fav- famous songs, which was quite an experience. Wow. Yeah, Van Morrison. And he's from Ireland. I should have let him in. <laughs> but there you go. He wants you to get an Irish boy in a castle like that, he'll stay there. <laughs> so, Rebecca, if people want to try and look at renting a castle or staying in a castle for maybe the summer coming up, uh, what do you suggest now? Would they go to the web? Um, Does I be- Airbnb have castles? I believe so. Wow. I believe that would be the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this particular castle converted into a major event center and a major uh, corporate stays and things like that. So we were very, very lucky to be as a family to rent this just for our family. There wow. was like, oh, that's an experience we probably would never get again in our lifetime. Um, so we were, you know, that's all. I, I know there's castle stays and it is like on an Airbnb type of website. So you can plug in, I think, to oh. the web, castle stays and a lot come up. A lot of my friends are doing that and they're reporting on Facebook that they're doing it. They take pictures. So it's wow. out there. That's yeah, great. it comes quickly, huh? Great. All right. well, by the way, folks, if you want to know more about Rebecca Brand, check out her uh, website on YouTube, uh, which is Rebecca Brand Recipes, and uh, you can learn how to make a, uh, a five-star meal using two-star budget, which is a pretty good thing. You go, you're going to want to know about that, right? I have he a five-star cook. budget. <laughs> you have a five-star budget. All right, well, it's nice to have rich friends. I'd I like think he won the lottery the other day. I'd like to hear how the other three-star people do it. <laughs> this is Travel Radio Australia. When it comes to my next guest, it's very hard to know where to start because he's a a travel writer, he's a radio presenter, he's a a journalist, he's an author, he's a handwriting analyst as well. 
I think it's better just to say, as we dial into Los Angeles, hello, Cash Peters. Hello, you. I don't know why it's so complicated that I do. It, it just seems like I do a lot, I think. I, I don't really. I, I think it just appears that I do. The best question I suppose to start with is, what is life like living in Hollywood, California? You know, it's not what I thought. Uh, it was the most magical thing when I arrived. I've been here uh, 14 years, I think now, almost 15 years. And it was not... Uh, I thought it would be just like being in Disneyland. That's what I thought. I've been to Disneyland in the 80s, and I thought this is like, you know, the Magic Kingdom, and that Hollywood would be the same. It's actually quite a rough place, really. And um, if you can survive here, then you have really done something important uh, because it, it really tests you. This is a really strange place. So, yes, you have all the tourist stuff, and that's all great, and, and you can sit in coffee bars and. Uh, you know, uh, what's happened? Roger Daltrey will walk in, or Ozzy Osbourne will walk in, or Pamela uh, Anderson will walk in. You know, all those sort of people will walk in. But, um, so you know you're in Hollywood, but it's still a very tough place to survive. And you find people come here and they're bright and they've got great teeth and lovely hair. And you just know that somebody somewhere has said, you should be on, uh, in movies or you should be on television. You should go to Hollywood. And they arrive and a year later, they're like crusty old men. <laughs> they've got huge bags under their eyes. They just weigh their disappointment on their shoulders. Um, but generally, if you can make it here, if you can actually make your life work, uh, there is something to be said for blue skies and, and sun every day. And there's, there's something to be said for living in a place where people are upbeat and jolly and look after their health and stuff like that. It, it's, it's actually a great place, but there is that huge caveat. But if you can survive long enough to enjoy it. I mean, you, you're saying there about some of the celebrities. I mean, can you just walk down the street and see some of the big celebs just do the normal day-to-day -day stuff? Oh, yeah. Actually, yesterday morning, I was having breakfast in a place in uh, in Santa Monica um, called The Firehouse. And I was sitting there, and I was doing some work at my table. And I look up, and there's a guy, a British guy, actually, um, staring at me from the next table over his agent's shoulder. His agent's got his back to me. And he's staring at me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I know you. Where do I know you from? And, and it's not like school, <laughs> which if I were living in England, it would be, I knew you from school. Um, this is like, I know him from a TV show. And it is just like... Like that, and uh, if you're lucky, they're people you recognise. Uh, if you're not, that you just sort of they seem vaguely familiar, and you'll look at them for ages. I, I was once in um, a, a place that's now a Starbucks, but it used to be called Buzz Coffee, um, close to my house. And um, I sat there one evening, and I looked up. I was making, I'm always making notes, and I was making notes, and I looked up, and Robin Williams was staring at me uh, from across the coffee bar, and he was in this like all over one piece parachute jumpsuit or something. I don't know what he was wearing. Anyway, so he was standing there looking at me. And so I um, uh, kind of looked at him and then carried on with my work. I look up and he's still looking at me. So I thought, uh-huh, there's something very strange going on here. And then he goes and he leaves. And I think he, d he was just researching some part about a, a, a sad old fool sitting in a <laughs> coffee bar. <laughs> and I, I was actually research for him. But you do find that. I, I find that um, you'll be walking down the street and there will be somebody or they'll be sitting in a car or they'll just go. Uh, I used to, I mean, I really don't drive a car, actually. So, so I stand at bus stops, as, as sad as that is. And, um, and, you know, somebody will come up to a traffic light and, It'll be fam some famous guy sitting in a car. It's it, it's a very odd place like that because the whole place is populated by celebrities, and they're really here. They really have homes here. So you um, uh, you'll go to a friend's house. Like my friend lives next door to Barbara Streisand. 
And so over the fence is Barbara Streisand. And Barbara Streisand came over one day to her and just said, oh, I see you have a greenhouse. I want to, I want to look in your greenhouse. And I go, oh, my God. It was Barbara Streisand. What happened? And she said she was very grumpy and had sciatica. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And I went down to her house, actually, and Matthew McConaughey's brother directed me to the house. And oh. it was like, just like, again, he's semi naked with a surfboard. And, um, and it's like him there, and then uh, Julie, uh, Julia Roberts lives over there, and Kenny G lives. It's really a phenomenal place. Now, it would be very remiss of us not to talk about uh, your book, which is called Force of Habit Sister Madeline Investigates. Where on earth did you get the inspiration for a crime busting nun? I used to live with a nun, actually. Well, um, that's different. Um, but you no, know, what happened was that I used to rent a, um, a, a bed sit in Golders Green in North London when I lived in London, and um, I had a, a bed sit at the back of the house, and there was one vacant at the front of the house. And one day, this nun moves in called Sister Margaret, Sister Margaret Sherwood, her name was, um, and she uh, had she was on an apostolate, which I think means that you come out of the convent and you have no clue what to do. A bit like Maria, you're thrown out the convent, and they just go, oh, you know deal with it. And so she had no idea how to open cans of food or how to cook or what a television was. She was uh, yeah, one of those electric kettles that stands on a stand and she would think that was like Harry Potter type magic. She would shriek Oh, how does it do that? I have no idea. So um, that stayed with me for years and I thought there's some kind of novel in this or something. I don't know what it was. And so I eventually wrote this novel called Force of Habit, Sister Madeline Investigates. Uh, I did the woman a great service by not naming it after her. But Sister Mad- uh, Force of Habit, Sister Madeline Investigates. And it's about um, uh, a woman who has an incredibly dark and mysterious past who uh, leaves the convent after all, like 40 years not knowing anything about life and has to deal with um, a killer, somebody who's murdering her old friends from, uh, from her dark past. And uh, I, I'm delighted. To, I, I put it out there thinking, I have no idea what the reception to this will be. And it's been phenomenal. I can't believe... Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad people love it, but I can't believe people have taken to it the way they have. I'm getting five-star reviews. I'm getting people saying this is the most amazing thing. So, But it's really based on this... Um, character called uh, uh, this woman called Sister Margaret who I lived with for a number of years uh, and taught how to open a can of mushrooms and things like that it was it was really it was <laughs> looking back it's one of the most eccentric parts of my life it seemed so normal at the time but uh, I had this nun who would just stand there and not know how to run a bath of water mm-hmm. and I, I just, it was really strange but uh, but I based the book really on that and then sort of embellished it into a kind of murder mystery Who doesn't appreciate an upgrade? And uh, I certainly do. Uh, an upgrade maybe to a better seat or better meals, good wines, maybe real cutlery and crockery. Well, hot off the press as this story is, um, is this story about a well-backed new company that is potentially another disruptor to the order of things in the airline business. So I spoke today to Ian Griffin. He's the CEO of a company called Seat Frog who will shortly offer Australians the chance to bid via their mobile phone app for the best empty seat upgrades right up to the departure time at the Gate Lounge. Well, I want to welcome to the Travel Rider Show today uh, Ian Griffin, who's the CEO of Seat Frog. Now, if you haven't heard of uh, 
of that company before. It is very, very new. It was announced yesterday, and uh, it's got some funding and some very good backers. And I've got Ian on the line now. Hi, Ian. How are you? I'm very well, Graham. How are you? Great. Now, tell me, where did the name come from, first of all? Oh, that's an interesting one. We uh, we went through a, a number of different options in the early days. I think we were initially jump seat, and then uh, we ended up with seat frog because... Uh, uh, I guess from my school days, it was kind of you jump over someone to get in front. So uh, we felt like that jump to business class was was an obvious one. Right. So how does you you, you basically bid for spare seats that would otherwise travel empty? So how does your bidding system work? Is it like eBay? Yeah, it's very similar to eBay. So I mean, in, in, in um, simple terms, I guess SeatFrog's simplicity is at the core. So very easy to use you, you put in your booking reference for your flight and then uh, we pull all your details into the app um, in segments so if you're flying from Sydney to let's say um, London there'll be two segments so Sydney to Dubai and then Dubai to London and um, then you can just forget about it and SeatFrog notifies you on the day if there's any spare seats in business class and we notify everybody else in the economy and then you're in a in a, um, I guess a, a bidding environment just like eBay you can see the current price and what the seat looks like, how many people are bidding, and there's a buy it now price as well, which is slightly higher if you want to take it out of the auction straight away. And then if you're successful, then you're instantly upgraded and we reissue the ticket directly to your phone, so you just scan your phone at the gate because we've integrated with the gate technology all over the world. Okay. So what types of flight, what types of flight are included? International, obviously, but domestic and only select destinations? Yeah, so we'll start off with, um, obviously, with any rollout, we're going to start off with certain routes and then expand from there, but it's a mix of international and domestic. Okay. And any particular airlines? Um, I can't talk about it right now, but we'll um, have some pretty exciting news to uh, to share with the market soon, so we'll definitely keep you in the loop. Okay. So, we, But we would expect it to be more than one, would we? Is that a fair assumption? Uh, we'll, 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 we'll be initially entering market with uh, our first uh, partner airline, and then from there we'll be introducing airlines from that. From okay. So can you upgrade on any fare from any location? And, and what are the restrictions? Uh, you know, is a deal per trip or just per sector? It's per sector, uh, just because that creates um, uh, ease for passengers in terms of <clears throat> sector-based bidding is much easier than full trip because some passengers might not, not want to upgrade all the way or they might not be able to afford that. They might just want to upgrade the long leg. I mean, obviously, passengers travel very differently, so you, you might be very different to me, but me personally, I might prefer to upgrade my 14-hour leg to Dubai and then my six-hour leg to London. I might feel like it's probably not worth it for me. Right. So we want to give passengers the flexibility to have both. Um, in terms of uh, restrictions, the only thing that you won't be able to do is jump from economy straight to first class. So it's, it's only one class upgrades. Okay. So why wouldn't an airline do this directly? Uh, I mean, do you run the risk that they might cut you out, uh, cut you off at the knees, so to speak? I think uh, look, that's a good question. But um, what we're doing is actually very complex. Um, to integrate into the systems that we've integrated into from a technology perspective is very hard. Um, and we're actually the first technology to integrate in those systems that manage um, aircraft, um, seating capacity, gates, everything within 48 hours of a flight. Um, so for airlines to plug into SeatFrog only takes a couple of days to integrate. And we it only costs them when it starts performing. So it's a really low uh, cost-effective model for them to adopt. 
And also, on the other side, for passengers, it just creates a consistent way to get access to upgrades outside of that frequent flyer process. Right. So, of course, airlines look after frequent flyers first and close off sales, but then Seafrog releases those seats um, on the last day. And if it's a consistent process, then people are familiar with it. It's much easier to use. Right. So how do you actually make money? Do you buy the seats and uh, and resell them, or do you charge the consumer a membership or a, or a transaction fee? No, we, we, we only charge the airline. Right. Um, and we only charge the airline a performance fee. So... Um, if the upgrade is successful. So they don't pay anything if there's no, no upgrade okay. in terms of it happening. So there's no licensing fee or any ongoing fees. It's just a performance-based model. Okay. So can the consumer save money or is it more about convenience? Yeah, they absolutely can save money, but I guess it's the trade-off between saving money and leaving it to the last minute. So if you want to fly business class, then you know, Seafrog's advice is that you buy full fare business class or so you buy business class before the flight because it's not guaranteed that there'll be a seat available on the day. Right. But if there is a seat available on the day, then you're going to get a deal. Right. And you're only going to accept cash folding dollars. You're not interested in frequent flyer points, are you? Um, at the moment, cash is um, cash is what we're focusing on, but we, ha- we have spoken about the potential to integrate frequent flyer points into the system as well, um, and that'll be just on an airline-by-airline basis. Okay. And initially, it's in Australia, is it? Uh, it's launching internationally. It is. Okay. So um, are you able to tell me what cities? I imagine it's not truly global, or is it? It is, it is global, yeah, from there. Oh, okay. So then the next question is, how do you guarantee the security of the transactions that might take place? Because there's going to be thousands of dollars potentially involved in some of these transactions. Yeah, so we've integrated our payment systems with one of the most trusted payment technologies in the world. Uh, they manage payments for the likes of Uber and Airbnb and, and a lot of uh, large e-commerce businesses globally. Um, so in terms of if you're focusing on the complexities and protection of people's payment data, PCI compliance, that's all done by the payment payment provider. We don't actually hold or process any payments ourselves. Uh, but my, I guess my question really revolves around the mobile aspect of this. Uh, you know, there's sniffing software and stuff like that out there. Um, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't go by that I don't get a warning about that, that the people want me to pass on to listeners. Uh, you, you know, dangerous using your mobile for big you know, monetary transactions. Um, uh, so you're confident that you've got that under control. If I'm in Estonia and want to uh, upgrade, uh, you know, a flight to London, am I okay to use A, the local carrier, and B, to use my mobile? And actually, you know, that's a really good question. I can't speak for the local carrier, but because the transaction is done on SeatFrog, then I can guarantee that that's, that platform is 100% secure. Um, like I said, we're integrated with some of the most trusted payment technology and also security software in the world. And SeatFrog's platform is done. We do regular penetration testing. It's incredibly secure. So mm. it's a, a very robust platform, and, and everybody should feel extremely confident that um, SeatFrog's going to protect their personal data and, and payment data. Well, as I said, you, you are well-backed, but I guess um, I've got to ask you these hard questions. What's the situation uh, like when you, uh, when you decide that uh, you don't want to proceed um, and you make a mistake or whatever? Are you able to get a refund on, on uh, what you might have bid? So when you, when you make a bid, we double-confirm it, and, when you, and we give you a couple of chances to confirm that right. to make sure that you're absolutely certain on your price. Yeah. So that makes sure that if someone makes a mistake, they have the chance to not confirm that bid. 
But once you go through that process, as with any uh, company in the world like eBay or any other payment providers, once you confirm your payment, that's that's a locked-in contract. However, we do have a, um, a process to uh, make sure that if there's any errors or the flight doesn't leave or you've paid for your ticket and that that tiny, tiny 0.0001 chance that the flight suddenly gets delayed and the aircraft changes and suddenly there's no more seat left and there's obviously those automatic refund um, protocols in place to make sure that, that happens quickly and, and there's really good customer service there. Okay. And then one final uh, hard question. What about um, a situation where, as sometimes occurs in eBay, there are professional bidding systems involved that will just immediately trump over someone else's bid and try to get the very last bit in at the very last split second. Uh, is that possible with you? No, and that's a great question. So when we first uh, started architecting the technology behind SeatFrog, we wanted to mitigate any threat of sniping. So that's the word, yeah. Whilst I, can't talk about, whilst I can't talk about how that works, obviously for IP perspective and also making sure people don't understand how we stop that, I can guarantee that it's impossible on SeatFrog because of the way the technology works in the back. We, okay. we stop sniping element. Well, that's reassuring. I, I, I don't want to sound negative, but it's such a new concept. I guess we just have to ask these hard questions. The easy one now: when do you yeah. start? When do you start? And uh, is it available on all mobile platforms? So um, it's not available right now because we're in private beta with uh, partners that we're working with from an airline perspective. Um, it's, we're going to launch later this year. And um, if you go to seatfrog.com, put in your details, you'll be one of the first to know as soon as we go live and we're going to be across every single mobile platform. So the mobile apps and all the technology is built and ready to go. We just need to push it live and when we push it live, we'll notify everybody that's there. Well, Ian Griffin uh, from Seatfrog, thanks very much. You've answered the, the questions. I think it sounds like a fascinating exercise and uh, I'll look forward to, to watching it roll out later in the year. News and features from around Australia and around the world. This is Travel Radio Australia. Max Hartshorn is the man to go to because he is MrGoNomad.com and he also travels the world and we're thrilled to join him now by phone. Hello, Max. Are we there, Max? I'm right here. You're right there. That's a great place to be. Hey, you, you're on the East Coast, right? I am. What, what, how's it, how is it today? You get snow? <laughs> no, it's, it's finally nice. It's nice and warm, and I, it's almost as nice as it is in the island of Los Singe in Croatia, where ah. I was last week. All right, now, Los Singe, it sounds like an Asian place. That doesn't sound like Croatia right. to me. No, I tell you, let me just let me set the stage for you because I know you have some very uh, upscale listeners and they'll appreciate this. This is certainly a destination for the well-heeled, and I think that the folks who listen to this broadcast are well-heeled. So we'll set the scene. You fly to Venice in a typical airplane, and you're met in the Venice airport by a gentleman with captain's wings, and he escorts you through the airport into the back where you go to a private King Air small plane, mm -hmm. And then in 35 minutes, you're at the island of Los Singe, Croatia, to go to the five-star Bellevue Hotel. Ah. And the week will be spent doing spa treatments and enjoying yachts and boating and seeing some of the most magnificent scenery. And, of course, the greatest olive oil I think I've ever had is in the island of, on the island of Los Singe, Croatia. 
Now, they call it the island of vitality because they really push this whole wellness theme and food and the, and the, the air and the water and everything that is supposed to be just magnificent for you, right? That's correct. Yes, we went to a couple of hotels that they are called Vitality Hotels. And these folks really take it seriously. It's not just a spa. This is basically treatment where if you have problems with breathing, they're saying that a lot of the, the air is so clear there with all the pine forests. It's very good air. And they have recommended health regimens that can go along as three weeks to, in order to treat things like emphysema and other lung problems. And just for the, for the healthy of us, we'll enjoy, you know, beautiful massages and treatments of your skin and your nails and your hair and everything else. So it's a great oh, combination. Sign me up. Hey, is the food healthy? The food is so healthy, Arf. There's so much good seafood, fresh seafood, broiled lamb from the, from the hillsides. And the I didn't know that lamb swam. <laughs> We're looking at some beautiful-looking shrimp and maybe a piece of, what, salmon, do you think that is? Or what? Uh, that, that, is a, that is a tuna from the, uh, from the Adriatic. They're famous for their yellowfin <laughs> tuna. Japanese uh, tuna fishermen come and swoop in there and grab it all, sell it for big money in Tokyo. It's just magnificent. The food in Croatia... The olive oil drizzled on everything. The lamb, as I said, that they say that it's partly it's good because they eat mint and other herbs, and they drink a little seawater, so it's already salted for you. It's just <laughs> fantastic. Wow. Now, uh, how about beverages? Because, uh, you know, Croatia is a long way away from uh, tequila. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess they're Napa. <laughs> So what do you do? Yeah, no, no problem with that. They have a great tradition of winemaking, some beautiful reds and whites. We sampled them all. A lot of rosés as well. Um, no bubbly, but the white and the red, they're very well covered, as well as I mentioned, the aforementioned olive oil. Yeah. Now, the water there, I, I've heard from more and more people and been reading more and more about it because we're considering doing something in Croatia, is supposed to be just spectacular for diving, for just enjoying. It's like a, a one-of-a-kind place, right, Max? I would have to say exactly that. It's almost like you're being in the Caribbean. We went into a cove on a sailboat, looked down in this Asia blue water, mm -hmm. just turquoise, magnificent. And almost every harbor you're in, you can look down and see all the way to the bottom. And they have a couple of these um, glass bottles sort of semi-submersible submarines that you can take and see that, that but it's really clear crystal clear and it's very well known as a sailing destination for for many years I mean, you know the tradition of uh, losinj which is the island it's f l s o i n j again i can't recommend it highly enough for anybody that has has the means it's a really wonderful place with lots of five-star hotels including the hotel bellevue the Hotel Alhambra, they're all owned and operated by a company right in that same area, and they pretty much run the whole show. They have their own yachts you can take out. They own a lot of the spa Ooh. hotels and vitality hotels, and it's just a magnificent place. Wow. I heard something about the dolphins there. Like, there's the largest pod of dolphins that remain in the region is there, and they're uh, just part of the culture and part of what people celebrate. Yes, I mean, it's, it's really a nautical place. I mean, from years going by in the 1820s and 30s, uh, it was famous for sea captains who went, sailed all over the world and brought back great wealth to the island of Losinge. It's sort of like a, a Nantucket almost, you know. It's got a very self-contained, relatively small, serviced by a small airport. As, as I mentioned, the Hotel Bellevue will pick you up in their King Air, any city in Europe just about, and fly you right down there. So they really take care of you and get you to their hotel because they... They, there's not an airport long enough for a jet, so they need to, you need to fly over there on our, their own private small planes, with, which they have, and they pick you up, and it's very elegant, and makes you feel like a real rock star. Oh. Oh, What's the best time to go, time of the year? Well, 
You know, I, I think I would have liked to go a little bit later. I was there last week, so I was there in late April, early May, and things had not really begun to be warm yet. Um, there's a lot of um, people that camp that have, there's also, like I said, there's, there's, there's as well as the five-star, there's beautiful camping right on the water. But I would say that I would have gone a little bit later. Should I have been able to choose, I probably would have tri- picked like late June and early July when things are really warm because it was really not ready to go into that water yet. Everything's rocky there. You know, they actually bring sand down and put sand on the beach because it's so rocky. Um, but I think, you know, I would, I would choose a little bit later or in September would probably be a beautiful time. Mm. Yeah, I think I made the same mistake going to the East Coast last weekend because it was freezing and rainy. And oh, I go, oh, yeah, this is hell of a hell of a time. It's now it's just finally getting nice. But yeah. I mean, I tell you, just if you think about it, the Croatia is there's about a two thousand islands off of that coast of Croatia, the, the Dalmatian coast, right? It's right south of Istria, but it's not very far. It's only thirty five minutes from Venice. Um, and again, that's the way to do it. It's any of these islands, I mean, I, I've been to uh, Zagreb before, and that's a whole different experience. I think. This is really luxury and seafood and boating and crystal clear water and just really uh, any of these islands you can't go wrong in Croatia. And the, they, they use the kuna. They don't use the euro. They use the kuna. And it's less expensive than Europe. It still is. It's not cheap, but it's less expensive than what you might find in Europe. I mean, the rest of Europe. Max, will you have a story about this on your website, gonomad.com? Well, I do right now. I have a story that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, it's about the famous statue that they, they have there. They have a new museum. That was part of the reason why we went over there. Um, there's a statue called Apoxamenos, and you might have heard about this in the Getty. It was exhibited in the Getty. It's a nine-foot-tall bronze statue that was rescued from the ocean and has been restored to its glory, and it spent a little bit of time in the Getty Museum, as well as in the Louvre, but now it's got its back home in Los Singe, and you can see that statue. It's one of the most remarkable statues. And so I did a story about that coming up, and I will be doing some hotel stories you can take a look at. And right now we do have other stories about Croatia, so take a search if you're interested. And again, I can't recommend highly enough the Bellevue and the Los Singe Hotels. Fantastic. Max, thanks so much for sharing that great experience with us, and uh, look forward to having you back on Around the World in the near future. Thanks very much, folks. Thanks, Max. And that's all we've got for you on this month's edition of Travel Radio Australia. I'd like to thank all our wonderful contributors, Jeff Harrison, touring Europe at the moment, Arthur von Wiesenberger, Peter Noon, and the rest of the ATW uh, in-studio team in Santa Barbara, David Gordon at Travel Bites Radio, and David's our voiceover man too. You hear him throughout the show uh, with his glorious voice. And uh, Graham Kemlo, the wonderful host of Travel Riders radio in melbourne and of course not to forget max hartshorn who uh, brought us a segment all the way from croatia on the program we'll be back next month with the next edition of travel radio australia until then i'm ren swears wishing you all happy trails you've been listening to travel radio australia the show was produced and hosted by Ren Spheres. It can be played or downloaded from TravelRadioAustralia.com, TravelCastNetwork.com, the iTunes Store, or listen to the show on TuneIn Radio.